the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You know, when the stresses and pressures come in life, are you consistent in your family for Christ and for the church? What kind of man are you when the call comes to draw a line in your life? We call those standards, loving standards, not arbitrary, loving standards. So evil cannot come into your house and destroy your family to keep the world out and let Christ in. A father holds the gateway to that stuff. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today's broadcast is entitled, The Jar of Oil. That's the jar of oil, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Before we get started, we want you to know that we believe here at Reaching Your Heart that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us at any time, day or night, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxenteco. We are grateful today that... There is no weapon fashioned against us that will stand. And that heaven has already provided answers for the machinations of men who think that they can subvert or slow the work of God or evil angels behind them. And Father, there are good people in these places too. And so Father, we pray that when we commit ourselves in prayer to you as a church family, that you will take note that we paused, that we did not act with presumption in this matter, that we did not think that because we may be smart or not that we could get outcomes, but that we have, as we have chosen to throughout this entire journey, to humble ourselves before you, to pray all the way, and to let the victory be God's victory, not ours. So, Lord, we've been told today in these precious promises we must lay our burdens on you, and we do today. And we thank you that with a little jar of oil, you can fill our vats full. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, you've probably figured out I'm in a series on the life of Elisha. I like the prophet Elisha. He's not a flamboyant, get-in-your-face kind of prophet. He's kind of like a steady force for God. That's what he was in the life of Israel. And through the, he was a change agent that transformed the spiritual life of the nation to rise. He built upon the revival of Elijah, but he was a pastor. Now, I like when I see a prophet who's more a pastor than an evangelist. Now, he was both. We have to do the work of an evangelist as pastors. But, you know, God calls for a steady, constant work in our life. And so I have chosen the last few weeks and maybe a week or two more to focus on the ministry of Elisha and the lessons we find in the life of Elisha. Now, as it goes, the woman came to the man of God, Elisha, the prophet, angry at God. That's how the story starts. She had given all her life letting her husband go away to do the work of God. She'd given her life in ministry. 
while she stayed at home and tried to pull it all together with the children. I've seen this story worked out in many a pastor's wife's life where she gave, 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 and then was spent at the end of her husband's ministry. Now, her husband was a minister in the context, and that made her a minister's wife. It was a title hard to carry in those times. And her two sons were PKs, preacher's kids. Do we have any PKs here? Grew up, your dad was a pastor, raise your hand high. Now, I have kids who are PKs. I wasn't. And it's rough on kids of pastors. Am I right? You could say amen if it's true. It's true, isn't it? Yeah. And people have no idea how the church imposes expectation on a pastor's kids. And I'm just grateful. In fact, I texted my son this morning, are you going to church? And his girlfriend texted me back, yeah, camp meeting. Johnny wanted you to know we're going to camp meeting. You got to be on your kids as a pastor, but not harshly because they get a brunt of a lot of the stuff. But you know who really gets the stuff as a pastor? It's the pastor's wife. She carries the emotional burden usually of the entire church. Now, how many of you know that Diana is salt to be found here and there and everywhere in the church here? Now, she was just outside the door ministering someone's need right now. She moves about. I'd be sunk as a pastor without my beautiful wife, Diana. You know, I've been thinking lately. I'm glad I married her. I'm sorry. I am, but I'm not sorry I married her. I'm I'm sorry that I had to tell you that, but I'm going to tell you again. I'm not sorry, actually. I'm glad I married my beautiful wife. Why? Because she is God's gift of ministry to me, and she carries a heavy load. But in this story, her husband pastored in a time when resources were thin. There was no money in this job of being a pastor. The land had been hit with a recession during the days of Elijah, the great famine there. When Elisha took over the church, the church was in ruins, and there was a whole lot of rebuilding to go in the land of Egypt. So she came to Elisha at the end of her emotional rope, looking for a cord of faith and hope to hang on to. I mean, her life had crumbled down. Her husband had died, and her two sons were soon to be taken from her. And she stood before the prophet as an angry pastor's wife, seeking an answer from the man of God who should produce something for her. And she was upset in Israel. Now look at 2 Kings 4.1. Here we have the story. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And now you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be as slaves. What an introduction to this story. We find here drama in pounding potions or motions here in the face of Elisha. Now, what a verse. A whole lifetime is contained in this one verse. Your servant was my husband. Now, implied in her statement is an indictment against God and Elisha for the strong price of being a pastor's wife. He served you all right, Elisha, but what good did his service do for his family and me? He served God. He's dead. Your servant, she said, and my husband is dead. Now, she could have simply said, I'm a widow, but she put it this way. My husband served the church for all these years, and now I'm a widow. And what did the church do for me? What did he do for me? Yeah, the man of God served, but I am now left, and I'm losing my children because of it. Now, one statement stands out in the verse. The woman had one legacy that she called on as her trump card after the death of her husband. She leans on this fact. She looked the man of God, Elisha, in the face, and the Hebrew says she cried out at him. 
She chose to be in his face and loud to make her point. She said to the man of God, you know that your servant feared the Lord. Now, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Deuteronomy 10, 12 says the fear of the Lord means to love the Lord your God. It means to keep all of his commandments, to have a consistent life based on love, not terror. That is what the fear of the Lord is. So she said, he feared the Lord. Now, I speak to the men of the church today in light of this verse. If you were to die today and your wife was standing over your casket, could she say with confidence concerning you, here is a man who feared the Lord. If you were hit by a truck on the way home, could your children say at your funeral, here is a father who feared the Lord. What kind of man are you today with the gift of the days that God has given to you for your family and the church for this time of human history to make a difference as a man of God. I speak directly to men as men. You hear me? I'm not speaking soft and whiny to men. I'm speaking as a man to a man. Is that fair today? What kind of man will you be for God? You know, our young boys of the church need men of God to call them to manhood, to holy strengthen God at the end of time. So what kind of man are you today with the gift of the days God has given you? You know, when the stresses and pressures come in life, are you consistent in your family for Christ and for the church? What kind of man are you when the call comes to draw a line in your life? We call those standards, loving standards, not arbitrary, loving standards. So evil cannot come into your house and destroy your family to keep the world out and let Christ in. A father holds the gateway to that stuff. What kind of man are you when you're not in church or you are in church, but you're at home and you're looking at something you shouldn't and then you realize, no, that's not what I'm about. And you take your position for Christ. You see, God is calling us to be consistent in the church, in the home, in the life. J.C. Watts defined character in this way. It's kind of profound. He said, everyone tries to define this thing called character. It's not hard. Character is doing what's right when nobody's looking. A man of God will cherish Christ's presence when it's only him and God. Thus he is a man of God. So what are you doing when no one is looking? Your family knows, and you do too, because people figure it out. The woman told Elisha. Now this is an amazing phrase. You know that my husband feared the Lord. That means he was a man of God. I have never met a man who fears the Lord who is lazy in the church. I've never met a man who truly fears the Lord who will not serve the church and his family consistently. I've never met a man who fears the Lord who will bow down at the entertainment altar and worship the gods of Hollywood and HBO. Now, he may be tempted. We live in a culture where this stuff gets thrown at us on the Internet. But a man of God will resist it, fight against it, and take his stand against it as a man of God in his home. I have never met a man who fears the Lord, who had no time for his Bible, but had plenty of time for the latest movie, the current video game, or a sports event, but no time for the Word of God. I have never met a man who fears the Lord who allows his children to do whatever they want to do because he doesn't have enough strength in God to say no when he needs to do that as a father. In love, no. And I have never met a man who fears the Lord and is afraid to do what the Lord says. Friend, the man who fears the Lord, like her husband, loves God first and obeys Him as God and Lord. He obeys God in the church, in the community, but the most important sphere, in his family, he is a man of God. 
He loves his wife enough to do his best for his family in hard times. Now, in the storyline, this lady is not saying, well, my husband never met my emotional needs. She doesn't say that. She's saying, this was a good man. He was my man, but more than that, he was God's man. You see, a man of God loves his wife if she's beautiful, and he loves her if she's not. Why? Because love is not based on what the eyes see. It's based on who God is and what a man of God is. You know, I've heard men say, well, you know, my wife was nice to me when I was young, met my needs, isn't doing it now at midlife. And I've had friends who try to divorce over that kind of thing. You know what? Let me tell you something. I'll speak very forthrightly to you. The wife of your youth is a test of who you are. If you're having trouble in your midlife, and good marriages can have trouble, that's a fact. You know what a good man is defined as? Is a man of stability. Because love is covenant love. It's there as your beautiful wife grows old and gets a little gray and maybe a little pudgy like you. But the bottom line is, she's beautiful to you primarily in the scripture because you are a man of God. Did you hear me? And God brings feelings in these kind of things. These different stages in your life, gentlemen, will be helped by God. But the stance of the character, the choice of faith determines the outcome of the blessings of later married life. And so a man of God sticks with it. He loved his wife. The pastor's wife, only defense, was her husband's sterling faith and tested character. I imagine she pointed her index finger straight at the prophet and said, you know that your servant feared the Lord. And then she hits him with the big but in the argument. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Now that last sentence is a loaded one. The creditor implies a debt is a serious kind of debt. The action of the creditor implies the debt is extremely large. I've had credit card debt that was a little bit bigger and small. It kind of bounces around. You get hit with a big challenge. Sometimes you can float it for a month or two. You don't want it longer than that. It's ideal not to do it at all. But this woman had just lost her husband over time, and she had no resources but him. And the woman has just said that her husband was a man of God. Now, logic fills in the gaps of the story here. I think we can deduce from her own words the truth that this debt was not the debt of her husband. Whose debt was it that had brought her family to this terrible condition? It had to be hers. Perhaps another recession hit after the death of her husband. Maybe jobs were hard to find and she began to run out of resources. Maybe she had no family to lean on. Probably so. Perhaps she became compulsive after the death of her husband and she sought comfort with money. Maybe some financier who offered some scheme for her. You know, it's easy to use the credit card to secure a quick fix for present problems. It's easy to tax the future and think that others will pay so you can have it easy now. She evidently got caught in that trap. Now, a credit card is a pretty powerful thing. If someone gets a hold of your credit card, they can do a lot of harm in a hurry, right? That's funny. I just got a note in the mail. As I finished practicing the sermon, it came in the mail yesterday, opened it up, looked at it, and it said that someone somewhere had opened up an account in my wife's name. Has that ever happened to you? And you get a letter from the agency saying, check with your creditors and all that. It's called identity fraud, right? 
So as soon as the Sabbath is over, I'm going to be dealing with identity fraud. Someone stole my wife's identity. And some kind of credit card account trying to open it up and do its thing. I didn't tell you, honey, until just now. How do you like that? You didn't know. I kept it from you. It just came out. Sorry about that. Hang on. We're in this thing together, all right? I once had my credit card stolen. Within minutes, hundreds of dollars were being stacked up on that card because they went through a spending spree before they disregarded the card. Fortunately, the credit card company did not leave me with the bill. So hang on to your credit cards, okay? Don't pass them out freely. Now, in Romans 13, 8, Paul gives this counsel to people in the church. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has done what? Has fulfilled the law. So our obligations are communal toward each other. More with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. Studying the Bible is vital to our lives, and we would like to help you in that process by providing you free Bible study guides. These full-color Bible study guides are available for you right now if you dial this telephone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. We would love for you to call and get your copy of these free Bible study guides at any time. That's 888-244-4673. Now more with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. The woman did not have many creditors. It's very clear. The text says she had one. She had relied on that one person to solve her problems, and that person was not God. I've seen this. Some person will come along and say, you know what, I'm an intelligent investor. I know exactly how to solve this situation or that. If you just hook your cart with me, I'll get you out of your problems. And more than, in fact, it's 99.99% of the time, you can guarantee yourself that person is a fraud. When an individual takes that role in your life or tries to, usually they're getting something from you. And so this woman got sucked into this. She had relied on that one person to solve her problems. And the one person she needed to rely on was God. If she had diversified her debt, now think about that. If she had just diversified it, Her debt would have been the combination of many small debts. But she came to the prophet with one big debt. And that meant that she had one very big and angry creditor. The Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament Bible says the creditor was a moneylender. He made his money on interest. Now, this kind of thing was forbidden in ancient Israel. So her creditor must have been an unbeliever outside of Israel. So as time moved on, her problem compounded with time. And in time, the moneylender came to take away her children as slaves. That meant the threat was he would take them out of the promised land to another land. Unbridled credit makes you a slave in time. And she was in jeopardy of losing her children to a foreign land, losing them to the faith. In one sentence, the prophet Elisha got the picture loud and clear. Does God care about people who are in debt? Yes. Does God care about... A pastor's wife and a widow who may have to give up her kids because her husband has died? Does God care about the legacy of her husband? Yes. Does God care about children who are in trouble? And I don't know about you, when I see children in trouble, I get nervous, especially if they're my own. Does God care about our kids who are in trouble? What? Does he? Absolutely. Before the prophet Elisha addresses her problem with divine power, he asks two questions to ascertain her presence resources. 
You see, the woman who couldn't handle her resources must learn here that every resource, even the ones you think that don't matter, matter a lot to God. Look at 2 Kings 4 verse 2 here. Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house. And then she pauses, except a jar of oil. Now, what is a jar of oil when you're empty and bankrupt? Her husband must have known the story of Elijah, the widow of Zarephath, who fed the prophet and her family again and again during the famine from the little flask of oil, the jar of oil with some flour too. Surely she had not forgotten the story of Elijah. I'm sure it was told to her. You know, friends, sometimes we think that God's miracles in the past can't happen today. You know, he did this mighty work five years ago, ten years ago, or in the early history of our church or in apostolic times, but not for me. Sometimes it's easy to idolize the past and not realize that God is the God of the living too. Friend, God acts today, not just yesterday. Now, what is God's name in Scripture? He is called the I Am who I am, God, Yahweh, I am. God treasures more than the past, more than the future. He treasures the present moments of your life where he can affect change for you right now. Now, his acts of greatness in the past are history, aren't they? But what he does for you today is his story in your life right now. So what is a flask of oil when your house is empty? I ask you today. She must have known that Jacob anointed a pillar at Bethel where God spoke to him at the top of a ladder with angels on it. She must have heard the words of Moses in the song of Moses for his people in Deuteronomy 32, 12. The Lord alone did lead me. There was no foreign God with him. He made him ride on the high places of the earth. He ate the produce of the field. He made him suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. She must have seen the word oil right there, that God somehow sustained his ancient people with oil. And she must have heard the blessing of Moses on the tribe of Asher in Deuteronomy 33, 24. And of Asher, he said, blessed above sons be Asher. In other words, Asher means blessed. Let him be the favorite of his brothers and let him drip his foot in oil. She must have known that Samuel took a flask of oil and anointed Saul as the first king of Israel. She must have known that David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, was anointed with oil, just like Saul. And she must have read that oil was used to light the sacred lamp in the middle of the night of God's holy house so that as an eternal covenant for his people, so that the light of God would never go out in Israel. God called it an eternal light. It pointed to who he is. She must have heard the words of David in Psalms 23. Verse 5, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup overflows. She must have heard the words of Psalms 33, which is one of my favorite psalms. A song of ascents. It means a song of going up, not going down. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the what? What does the text say? It's like the precious oil. Not just oil, precious oil upon the head running down upon the head, the beard, upon the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. You see, oil is not just oil. Oil represents the life of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
It represents the life that comes when God's people work together in the power of the Holy Spirit. Unity is found and the Lord pours his blessings on his church. Faith, hope, love, the life of the Spirit of God. She must have known that oil is something special in the house. She said, I have nothing except a jar of oil. That's like saying, I have nothing except a little dynamite. I have nothing except a little TNT in me. Friend, if you've come to the end of your resources and you have a little bit of the Holy Spirit left in you, you know, in other words, you've not written God off altogether, you can still turn your heart toward Him. Today's message with Pastor Michael Oxentenko was entitled The Jar of Oil. That's The Jar of Oil, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com if you'd like to download a copy. Well, as you probably know, survival is big business these days. People spend thousands of dollars on wilderness survival camps. They want to learn how to survive in light of unprecedented natural disasters, the potential of a nuclear attack or civil unrest. But how do you spiritually survive life's disasters? The new book entitled Ultimate Survival will give you practical steps on how you can survive spiritually. This is a great book, and we'd love you to have it right now. It's titled Ultimate Survival. You'll discover keys to physical, mental, and spiritual survival you may not know existed. Call right now, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Once again, that telephone number is 888-244-4673, 888-244-HOPE. If you've been inspired by this message and want to partner with us to further spread these messages and keep us broadcasting on the air, then we welcome your partnership. And you can give a donation of any amount. We thank you for your support. If you're in the Washington, D.C. area or passing through, we'd love to welcome you to our church family. Stop by Reaching Hearts International and join us for a worship service every Saturday at 11 o'clock or Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. The address for the church is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. If you're wondering how to get a copy of today's broadcast, you can go to reachingyourheart.com and download a copy or listen right there in on-demand audio format. Again, the address for the website is reachingyourheart.com. Thanks for listening today. We hope you'll join us again next time for another Reaching Your Heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.